Let's freaking go. Uh, day two. <laughs> it is new. This is the Anarchist Investor. Anarchist Investors. Uh, I have. It is February 27th. That was February ago. Uh, we are talking about the markets, contrarian investment, the economy, some political rants, a whole bunch of other stuff. Let me tone down the music here. Uh, let's start with where we're at in the markets. And if I can make the screen share work. All right, we're starting off here, and I got to make this thing bigger. Here we go. We are starting off with the big daddy. It is Bitcoin continuing to run towards $65,000. Uh, I have to apologize. Yesterday, uh, I had said that it was potentially forming a head and shoulders. I misspoke as a inverse head and shoulders, meaning it is going to be pointing upward once it completes that formation, if it does complete that formation. Um, I fully expect this thing to get to 65 or 66,000 uh, and then uh, meet some resistance and reverse. There's a bunch of people that bought at 65 and 66,000 uh, a year, two years ago. And they're looking to get out because they've been holding a negative bag for a while and they're looking to try and get out from under it. And so if they can get back to even, I think you're going to see some selling that kicks in around 65 or 66,000 along with some of the other speculators and, you know, non-crypto enthusiasts that are out there that are literally just trying to make a buck off of the movement of crypto. So um, that's what we got going in Bitcoin. Let me go around the broader market. I want to call your attention to a couple of other things. ETH has been getting, Ethereum has been getting a lot of attention here recently. Um, it's been running pretty hard. And in fact, Bitcoin dominance, I think, has been either uh, flatlining. Yeah, it's basically flatlining here, which essentially means that as Bitcoin rises, ETH has been uh, on a tear as well, and probably even more so than Bitcoin. So uh, there's, there's some benefactors here to the Bitcoin rise and the Bitcoin ETF. You also have an Ethereum ETF that is in the works. And so there will be a buy the rumor, sell the news event with Ethereum as well surrounding that. I'm more than certain of it. Um, something else I wanted to look at. And I, I mean, you can hold ETH. You want to, you know, average into ETH or whatever. That's fine. I mean, it's going to move higher along with the broader crypto market uh, following Bitcoin and the, the momentum that Bitcoin's creating into having here. So just keep in mind that. I wouldn't be, you know, going whole hog in here because you have to always have to remember that if you are going to trade, which is not something that we, you know, that I'm a, a big advocate of uh, most people doing. In fact, the vast majority of people should not be, you know, trading and looking for short term gains on some of this stuff. Uh, if you are going to trade there as an entry point, like for a long trade here, it's really scary because, you know, where you would have to allow this thing to go to before you could say, oh, it's not working in my direction is probably, you know, it's got a long way to go. It would have to drop, you know, 30, 40% before you could really, uh, at least if you're looking uh, at the, the graph and you're looking at the mechanics here, whether or not you could say whether you're wrong or right, right? It's not a good entry point for a huge long or anything like that. Um, but if you are in it, if you're uh, averaging into it, dollar cost averaging into it, keep going. I mean, you might be getting to a point here where you could take a little off. Um, I would actually say probably 3,500 looks pretty decent if you get up there with ETH to take a little piece off because it comes back to this little kind of uh, double top that happened around uh, March of 22 um, when it was coming off of the all-time high. So 
just keep that in mind. One of the other cryptos that I'm watching is Solana. Solana, um, if you haven't subscribed to my Substack yet, definitely go over to Substack, anarchistinvestor.substack.com. The link's in the details uh, below. Go over and sub. I write a post every single morning, uh, at least Monday through Friday, and sometimes Saturday, Sunday, when I got nothing better to do. Uh, Solana is essentially the uh, primary layer crypto for my IoT miner that I have in the house. Uh, it is basically the Helium network. Uh, Helium allows you to mine certain types of coins, one of which is IoT, uh, short for Internet of Things. Uh, it's a decentralized network that the miner, you know, if you own it and operate it, you're getting rewarded coins for providing essentially almost kind of like a node in, in the network for people's IoT devices to connect through. Uh, they also offer mobile service, which is what my uh, what my post was about. Um, we're switching over to Helium for our mo our cellular provider, and they essentially use T-Mobile as a backbone to like fill in the gaps. But anywhere there are Helium hotspots, these are separate hotspots um, that mine mobile coin or get awarded mobile coin. Uh, you can connect through there as well. And so when I get re rewarded IoT or mobile coin or whatever or Helium. I typically convert it directly into Solana every single night. And uh, that effectively gives me a daily dollar cost average into Solana. And we're not talking about huge amounts of money. It's like, you know, 75 cents a buck at a time. But, you know, effectively over time, I'm building a base of Solana. So I'm looking at Solana. Solana's had a nice run uh, over the last few months since basically September. It's run from 18 all the way up to basically 100 bucks. I mean, it's been a freaking moonshot. And it actually looks like it's coiling up to potentially move higher as well. I would expect Solana to uh, have the same dynamic as Ethereum and the other coins as it rides on the, the wave of Bitcoin, so to speak. Uh, and I got a couple others I'm looking. I'm not going to call too much attention to them today, but uh, Hive is another one, decentralized social media uh, that essentially pays you for your activity on social media. I love Hive. Hive has one of the best, from what I can see, stable coins that are out there at the Hive back dollar. Uh, and you can stake it. And I believe the interest rate is still something crazy, like 20%. Um, so you could stake it making a ridiculous interest rate on your Hive back dollars that you're staking uh, on the Hive system. I will share more with that in the future. If you are sub to the YouTube channel uh, or any of my kind of legacy channels, I have a channel over on Odyssey and a couple other spots. Uh, I have done episodes in the past on Hive. So you can go back and check those. And get a little educated but i will write more and broadcast more about hive in the future because it's absolutely fantastic platform and i do think it is the future of social media i don't think i mean like if x is going to be the future of social media elon's really got to look over there at um over at uh hive and what they're doing because if he wants to make it the app for everything there's got to be some incentive for the content creators in there uh and so yeah, that's something I'm definitely paying attention to. All right, the regular markets, the casino, so to speak. Let's check out what's going over there. Uh, yields, for the most part, have gone up and stayed up. The market, uh, you know, the S&P and whatnot have risen over the last few months and actually had a rebound in 2023 uh, because they were anticipating the Federal Reserve cutting rates. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit more about my, like, overall view of the economy and, and everything like that in a little bit, but just understand that dynamic. Interest rates have 
gone higher. You've seen it. You've probably seen it in, if you have any credit card debt, which I would highly advocate that you get rid of it. Um, you've probably seen it in terms of if you had to go out and get an auto loan, bought a new home, refinanced, right? Like mortgage rates are up. Uh, everything is more expensive when it comes to debt nowadays. And so the two-year uh, treasury is something that a lot of people look at. I follow it as well, just kind of more shorter term. So that's gone up and it's hovering still below what the federal funds rate is, by the way, which is uh, super interesting. So there, you know, there's still a lot of people that have a lot of money that are betting that the Federal Reserve is going to cut rates uh, sooner rather than later starting this year. We'll see if that actually plays out. Uh, and then the 10 years, a little bit more of a longer range one. And actually this fall off that you see starting in basically end of September, early October in the yield of the 10 year treasury is uh, part of what spurred on the rise in the traditional Wall Street casino names and stocks, the AI stocks and the tech sector specifically, the MAG7, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I'm going to pull up my indexes tab really quickly. I'm not really going to pay too much attention to the broader stock market indexes. I mean, it's interesting to know about that stuff as a contrarian investor, but quite frankly, we're looking to steer clear of most of those things. I will pull up though the chart of oil, um, UK oil, or you could also look at West Texas. Uh, oil had a huge run up it has since come back and it's just kind of bouncing around right like i could actually throw uh, a, a range on here over the last few days so to speak uh it's been somewhat consolidating and building strength almost pointing toward something that i think is playing out in a lot of the commodities a lot of the cryptos like bitcoin where there's this anticipation that either we're going to get rate cuts or uh we're going to have some kind of continued elevated level of inflation which by the way if you watch the uneducated economist uh simon's one of simon's takes is a hot take and it really shouldn't be because if you're paying attention to what the federal reserve has said in the past uh when they target two percent inflation they're targeting an average of two percent not to peg it to two percent and so uh we've had below two percent inflation on average throughout basically maybe since the 2010 2011 time frame up until 2019. So there's no wonder why we had elevated inflation. Even regardless of COVID and all that other stuff that happened, they were actually looking to try and get higher inflation and not higher like to get to 2%, higher as in above 2% to get back on that glide path so that the average comes out to be 2%. So anyone who thinks that the Fed failed because we had higher inflation, they didn't fail. That's what they intended to do this is a very important talking point whereas most people think oh well they failed because they didn't keep it at or below two percent that's not what they've said and that's not what they're trying to do so you got to keep that in mind and you're seeing it play out in some of the commodities i think you're probably going to see still a prolonged period of higher than two percent inflation the only asterisk there is if the economy economy completely falls apart and like i said i'll talk to you about about that in a minute uh, finishing our round trip around the, the, some of the markets here, gold, gold is also kind of consolidating. It's been in this range for, wow. I mean, it's a, it's a wide range. It goes from like 1600 to like 2100. Uh, but it's been in this range since basically 2020, we had the big ramp up, actually two ramp ups. They fell back both times. Now we ramped up, put in a new all time high. And if you notice here at the end of this chart, 
we're kind of consolidating. So everything's trying to figure out, are we going higher or is, you know, something going to come through that we're not expecting. And now all of a sudden gold gets cheaper again uh, and goes back down to the bottom end of the range. I would say anything could be a catalyst for this. The Federal Reserve cutting rates could be a big one. And if they do cut rates, the question then becomes, does it even translate into more economic activity or does it translate just into things like commodities getting more expensive uh, and some, you know, taking the edge off on some of the troubles that the banking sector has had because higher interest rates uh, in the short term actually aren't a good thing for um, traditional fractional reserve banks that are out there. Uh, oh, and one last silver. Um, I actually wrote an article about how I anticipate silver is going to outperform gold. I actually still think that's true. Hasn't really played out over the last like two weeks or so. Uh, silver's been hit a little bit more than gold during this, you know, consolidation phase, so to speak. And you can actually see the same dynamic playing out in silver back to, you know, this time frame in 2020, where it's been, you know, kind of this big back and forth, almost like you could call it, you know, we had this run up uh, in early 2020 because of all the money printing. And then almost you have this kind of very prolonged, long, uh, bull flag is the pattern that they call it, where you have a run up in price and then you kind of like meander sideways or even down for a while, just slightly. There's lots of buying. People got a big uh, payday because of that rise in the asset value. They trim and trim and trim and trim and trim until eventually you get this another pop in demand that pushes you back higher to all time highs. Well, I mean, not all time highs with silver because no one's trying to corner the market that we know of right now uh, like they did way back when. But I would actually anticipate that silver over the next six to 12 months will outperform gold uh, because of the ratio. And again, that's not a guarantee that both will go up. It just means that I think that silver uh, will outperform in terms of the relative performance with gold. So check out that article as well. Again, uh, the link is down in the details and make sure to sub. Uh, all right. I think that's all I really got. I mean, I can look at a little bit more in terms of like individual stocks. But I really don't want to talk about that. I would rather stop the share on this screen and try and pull up another tab that I have here. You know what? I'm just going to throw you right onto my browser if it will let me. And we're going to look at some news. Uh, Macy's closing 150 stores. They called underperforming. Um, <laughs> retail's taken on the chin, man. It's like, uh, and no wonder, right? Prices up, people's budget stretched. This is something that I think a lot of people saw coming. It's actually been coming for 20 years. If you've been paying attention, um, I can remember the prolonged just decay that was Sears, right? Uh, anyone who remembers Sears retail stores i mean i'm still i use craftsman tools still that was you know the sears brand right um sears just took forever to fall apart it was just a behemoth there was always money left to be able to refinance and i mean you know money to borrow to refinance and just keep them alive but it was like the ultimate giant zombie company that took forever to fall apart retail is littered with a number of these stores that I'll say for the most part, cut their teeth and, and thrived in the like big shopping center mall kind of uh, locations. I think they're the ones that are being hit the hardest. Macy's, JCPenney, Nordstrom's, 
Dillard's, right? Like some of them are performing better than others because they've been able to control inventory a little bit better. And maybe their teams have been better at uh, handling debt and inventory. Uh, but I don't want you investing in any of this shit. But what I do want you to realize is that there is an environment out there that's kind of coalescing into this overall economic perspective that I'm going to throw at you um, in just a couple of seconds. And the other thing I want to pay attention to is within this uh, Yahoo Finance screen, there's also a couple of other stories that are of interest, one of which being Lowe's missing on their earnings, both sales and profit, and then also uh, housing in December miraculously getting more expensive again, um, or at least it's continued to get more expensive. Uh, they're just you know, slowly getting more expensive, but it seems to get worse every single time there's any kind of relief in the borrowing cost uh, for mortgages. So that being said, I'm going to stop the screen share and I'm going to look you in the face and I'm going to tell you why I screwed up like 12, you know, seven, eight months ago when I threw out some articles about, you know, is global collapse imminent and stuff like that. Um, I would have to say that was kind of projection on my part where I let my uh, overall skepticism for the Wall Street casino uh, dictate my viewpoint in terms of what I thought the future was going to look like. Uh, there's so much conjecturally that you could say is wrong with the economy. And don't get me wrong. Wall Street is not an accurate depiction of the economy. OK, you can't look to just stock markets or stock indexes and even the bond market and say, oh, the economy's good, the economy's bad. You can't even look at jobs numbers because one, they're doctored beyond all belief. And two, they just, they don't operate the same way that the economy actually operates, okay? There's so many different facets to the way that uh, capital markets operate that they are not a good depiction of the economy. The economy is like one input into whether the stocks go up or go down or whether bonds go up or go down. It's one input. It's not like the whole thing, right? So it's definitely not a one-for-one -one proxy. And I can tell you that probably more so now than at any t other time in history, I don't think Wall Street reflects what's happening in the economy. And so there are tons of doomsayers out there that are essentially saying, oh, you know, the economy is going to fall apart. The global economy is going to fall apart. And I've listened to a lot of people and they make so much sense, right? Prices are up. Uh, it's never been a shittier time in this country to be, you know, poor or on minimum wage and have to work multiple jobs. And you feel like you're working just to try and pay bills and the bills keep getting more expensive and your pay isn't keeping up with the increases in the expenses, right? Like there's so many, the credit card defaults, auto loan delinquencies, mortgage delinquencies, like all these numbers are going up, you know, total credit card, uh, investment or total credit card debt is like at an all time high and it's accelerating in terms of how fast it's going up. And so all of these things um, essentially create this uh, environment where you would think, oh, it's all going to hell in a handbasket, right? It's all gonna fall apart. It's the 1930s all over again, Great Depression, Dust Bowl, right? Like World War III is gonna happen because of it. World War III might happen, but I don't think it's because of the economics. Anyway, um, <laughs> but that being said, I think that can pollute people's viewpoint and and it entered into my viewpoint as well here's what it looks like to me now 
banking crisis, retail getting destroyed. We have the remnants of the bullwhip effect in the supply chain from COVID and the lockdowns. I won't get too much into the politics of that here, but uh, we definitely talk about it when we do the live stream for the main show. Uh, oh, the Federal Reserve mucking around in markets, having printed tons of money, lowered interest rates. Um, the U.S. government running record deficits, the total deficit at all-time highs, over 120% of GDP. Uh, it seems like a really dire situation. And I think a lot of people, part of the reason why they're hoping for the collapse is because it gets them to the rebuilding phase quicker. And I got to be honest with you, I don't think the powers that be want to get to the rebuilding phase quicker. They're trying to patchwork this thing so that we just have a prolonged period of misery. And it seems awful to say that, but it definitely seems like we're kind of lining up for that. This like kind of 1970s Jimmy Carter kind of malaise. And I, I wasn't alive for it. I was born in 81. Um, some people who watch this might, you know, have been alive during that time, many of which were probably just children. But my understanding was that it was not fun, right? Like the the hippie revolution of the 60s and the anti-war movement and everything like that kind of you know began to falter a little bit and just there wasn't like this sense of prosperity like everyone was just kind of working to get by you had inflation that gave way to deflation that came back with more inflation or actually the inflation never went away it was disinflation that then came back with more inflation that roared back even worse um and I think the Federal Reserve has been trying to set expectations. This idea of higher for longer, I believe, goes further than just interest rate policy. I think the Federal Reserve is actually setting everyone up to take this debt restructuring that needs to happen because it's basically been 10, 20, 30 years of artificially low interest rates, in many cases, for the last 10 years, we've had almost 0% interest rates. There's a huge amount of debt that has to be restructured, right? Commercial real estate market, 40% of it is probably completely overvalued. Maybe even more of it is completely overvalued. You have to restructure all those mortgages. You have to restructure all those loans and all those debts and, and notes that were taken out that shouldn't have been, right? Or should have been taken out in smaller amounts with higher interest rates, but the, that number was kept lower. We're also going to have a period of austerity. U.S. government can't continue to spend the way it's spending. If they do continue to spend, and this is why uh, the Fed chair gets peppered with questions about deficit spending and the overall budget from some of the reporters when he does his uh, monthly or, or you know, bi-monthly uh, FOMC uh, press conference. Uh, that, that debt spending is also a gigantic component here. It can continue to push inflation and not necessarily do a good job of push economic growth, right? And so that needs to abate. Uh, the interest rate on the debt is getting higher as the day goes by. So that's also gonna put more of a, a, a crush onto federal government expenditures. Um, and we have a prolonged period here where they're trying to stretch out this restructuring, this debt restructuring that's happening, not just in the United States, but globally, because you have to remember that like 60, 70% of the debt in the world, like loans in the world are denominated in US dollars. So I think they're trying to drag this out as long as possible. 
And I don't think people truly understand the magnitude of the debt restructuring that has to happen. Or if they do, they're assuming it's just going to happen overnight like it did in 2008, 2009, which I don't see happening because most of what happened in 2008 and 2009 happened because there was bad risk management. There was gambling in the casino. Everyone was over leveraged and it all came due at once. I don't see that happening. We have a bullwhip effect that's happening because of the, the, the supply chain disruption that happened in 2020 and 2021. We have other geopolitical risks that are happening and they're hitting at different times. And this is exactly what I understand the 1970s was. It was like one crisis after another, but none of those crises, what, even if it put us into a recession, it wasn't like a deep, dark recession. It was just, you know, things sucked and they began to suck a little bit more, <laughs> right? And then when we came out of the recession, they sucked a little less, right? Like it's, it's almost like, you know, the phrase like embrace the suck. Uh, I think I kind of have to, start parroting that phrase because i really think that's what we're headed toward a lot of people are asking the question like is it time to short the stock market is it time to short the stock market is it you know time to put everything into cash and run away screaming you know should i buy nothing but gold or you know the reason why bitcoin is going to the moon is because everything else is crashing i don't think that's the answer at all i think there's uh there's an overall sentiment within the marketplace especially the big money people where they're keeping a large portion of their assets in cash or highly liquid and safe, secure things like <laughs> U.S. Treasuries. And they're they're able to outpace inflation right now. Right. Inflation's, you know, like give or take two, four, two to four percent. Right. So if you can put your money into a money market account, and you're making five percent. You're at least retaining the value of that cash that's sitting there. They have a large amount of cash that's sitting on the sidelines doing that. And I don't think they have much of a inspiration to redeploy that cash. Otherwise, you would see, you know, small companies getting loads of financing to grow and things like that. This is not a growth environment. This is a preserve your money environment. And then when you do take risk, it has to be the, the risk reward ratio has to be that much bigger. Right. In a low interest rate environment. Uh, anyone who understands like corporate finance and weighted average cost of capital or return on investment, you know, if interest rates are low, you'll take every single investment you can that's a net positive, right? But if interest rates begin to get higher, that means the return that you have to get on your money has to get dramatically higher as it goes. And so all of those projects that you would have taken or that you did in the past, you're going to have to scuttle those, right? And the money that you employ to kind of like go after the risk, now that risk reward has to get much higher, right? And so you're going to take less of your money. You're going to put it in things that have a higher risk reward, okay? But you got to remember that's the higher the reward, the higher the risk, right? So like you're taking these way outside. I mean, like you're playing crafts and you're betting single numbers like on the hop, right? Like you're trying to get 30 to one because you're only gambling with, five, 10% of your money. The other 90% of your money is sitting in a money market account, earning 5% and just kind of holding on. And hopefully, even if you lose all your money, taking that outsized bet at 5%, you're going to make your money back in one, two years anyway. Right. I see that playing out in this marketplace and there's not going to be a ton of growth. 
you're going to see pockets of growth, right? I mean, make of AI what you want, but that's apparently what everyone thinks is going to be the growth engine. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. I think cash flow is going to become the thing in the in the in the medium term, two, three, four years out. I think real estate, I think dividends on projects that you're invested in, right? Whether it's companies on the stock market, I would dissuade you from that. But you know, real estate that you're invested in that you're earning rental income off of, uh, or uh, you know, oil and gas and commodity plays of miners and things like that, or places where you can take your cash and lend it out or lease it out, or your gold or your silver and lend and lease it out, make two, two and a half, three percent. I think that's going to be the play on the vast majority of assets. And then there's going to be a small amount that is going to be dedicated toward this high risk, high reward kind of thing. And it's not going to be uh, small companies because you got to remember that a small company, the risk reward, it's high risk because the, the risk of default, the, the inherent risk of default is much, much higher there, right? Like you could lose everything. If you buy into NVIDIA now and it's overly priced by 50%, you lose 50% of your money, but 50% is still left, right? Um, so, you know, that ratio is very important nowadays. So unfortunately, I wish I had like more uplifting news, but unfortunately, that's what I foresee. I think you're going to see 10 years at least of just kind of modeling along kind of like really. And if you do see the feds and you see the federal government try and goose it, try and get some growth, they're going to be throwing good money after bad. I think they're not going to get very much growth. You already saw it. We ran a huge budget deficit this last quarter and this like amazing GDP number that came out that was 3%. Uh, we ended up having to spend like 10x for every single dollar of GDP that was created. The deficit was like 10x higher, right? So I think the the, the vast majority of money is going to be really safely held and guarded. And quite frankly, we've needed that for like 20, 30 years, right? And the Fed sees that. And the Fed is going to try and the Federal Reserve and the federal government are going to try and soften the blow when more bank failures happen, because they're going to, uh, you know, more uh, bankruptcies and restructuring and, you know, more commercial properties are going to get, you know, you're going to see some commercial properties that look brand new, get knocked down. They're just going to get raised to the ground. Because the other issue with commercial property is if you don't have a robust market for people to come in to take that property, retooling that piece of property to be something else, mixed use, residential, whatever, industrial, you might as well just knock it down. It's not worth the price, right? Um, so you could see some ghost towns that are made up of you know large commercial buildings that just sit dormant for 10, 15, 20 years. Um, or like I said, you, they'll just knock them down and hold the property or repurpose it for something else, right? Um, I think that's basically the environment that we're looking at. And so uh, from that perspective, a lot of what I'm going to be writing about, talking about, I mean, I'll constantly be reevaluating that perspective, but a lot of it is going to come from that frame of reference, right? That things aren't going to just fall apart. The U.S. dollar isn't going to be uh, removed from being the world reserve currency anytime soon. There will be things percolating under the surface, and this is the time to find those things. And quite frankly, a lot of those things, I would say most of them, don't exist in the casino, right? Like they're, they're not on Wall Street. 
Uh, some of them will be a small handful, but the vast majority of them will be things that are flying under the radar, right? Like there's some truth to crypto being, there's a future there for crypto of, of some sort, right? We have to find it, whether it's Hive, whether it's decentralized networks like Helium on the Solana network, whether it's Bitcoin being the you know gold uh, of crypto, whatever it is, um, there's going to be something that arises from it that is going to be a gigantic growth engine in the future. We got to get through the suck first. <laughs> and that suck is going to be probably 5, 10, 15 years of just, ugh, right? Um, but the good news is that I'm here for you. <laughs> and you're going to be along on the journey with me. And I'm looking forward to that. So uh, with that, let me remind you, you made it this far. Wherever you're watching and listening, subscribe, follow, hit the like, throw some comments my way. Join me live on your lunch hour every day, noon Eastern. Uh, I'll be here live actually Monday through Friday when markets are open. And uh, throw me your comments, your questions. I would love to hear what you have to say. Discuss it live on air. And, you know, if you have something that's nagging at you or you're worried about or something cool that you heard about, I want to hear about it. I want to talk about it live at noon every single day. So uh, with that, I appreciate it. Love you. Peace.